You're listening to High Vibe Mindset, where entrepreneurs Aaron Smith, a sports physician assistant, and Melissa Smith, an intuitive eating dietitian and mindset coach, dive into all the juicy details of business, relationships, health, science, and spirituality. Now let's dive in. What's up, guys? We're back with another episode. Today, I want to switch it up a little bit. We want to go back to more of the high vibe mindset, more about mentality today. We've been talking about a lot of spiritual stuff, which is great, and we've had a lot of great guests, but I definitely want to dive into this a little bit more today. And me and Melissa were talking about this this last weekend. We are getting ready to move, and we're doing some repair projects around the house. I just want to know, have you ever been on day two of a 30-minute repair? Because I have, and it's not fun. This actually happened a little while ago. I was working on a, a vehicle I'd bought and bought a used vehicle. It was a little bit older. It was running good, but I wanted to change some of the belts and stuff out under the hood. So I have very little auto mechanic experience. So I looked up some YouTube videos, started grabbing some things, went to the store, grabs what I thought was going to fit, came back, ended up, didn't fit, had the wrong tools, had to go back to the store like two or three more times. And finally... On day two, I finally finished the thing. And my only thought was like, wow, I really thought this was going to be a lot easier than it ended up turning out to be. It ended up being a two-day ordeal when it when a normal, not a normal, but a person who had been doing this for a while or knew more about cars could could really knock this out 15, 20 minute tops. So that got me thinking, like, what causes us to really like I guess overestimate our knowledge of an area? And there's actually a unique phenomenon called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I'd heard about it once or twice in the past, but I never really looked into it that deep. But we want to talk about that a little bit today. So to give a background, David Dunning and Justin Kruger, they're two psychologists who came up with this concept, I believe in the 90s. So what they found is that there is a cognitive bias where people with little knowledge greatly overestimate their knowledge. There's also a slight, I guess not a variant, but a second kind of definition. You can overestimate your own knowledge and you can also underestimate someone else's knowledge. So let's say you have a mechanic or someone who knows what they're doing. Well, you've done a little research. You kind of know what you're talking about. I see this all the time nowadays with politics and vaccines and other stuff like people with no medical training. They read a few Facebook ads and stuff and they're like, they're, they become the world renowned experts and they're questioning everything on vaccines and other stuff. I don't want to get too political or anything, but it's just interesting to see a lot of confidence in these people who really have not been to med school, have not done the training and really are just 100% confident of what they're saying is correct. When really the the problem is a lot more nuanced and the science and the, the medicine is a lot more nuanced behind it. There is a cognitive bias where you greatly overestimate your own knowledge. And there's a cognitive bias where you can underestimate like an expert's knowledge of the subject because you know a little bit of the information. This happens all the time for sure, where I think, especially with social media and everything, we see a lot of the times, which I think it's perfectly fine to use your platform for good and whatever you're learning, go ahead and share that knowledge. But we can definitely see people crossing that line where they might position themselves as an expert when they're not, right? And when they don't have that type of training, they don't have the credentials, they don't have the education 
communication and that can be really dangerous. So I think it's super important to understand and when you're teaching people to highlight that and say, you know, I'm not an expert or this is just my personal experience and have those disclaimers because it's important. And it is scary if we have a lot of people walking around thinking they're an expert in the field or they're positioning themselves that way. And there are some logical fallacies you can fall into. Like just because you have a degree in something doesn't necessarily make you an expert. You see this with a lot of like like recent college grads with no work experience. They go into the workforce and they realize, wow, the people who've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, they know so much more than I do, even with a bachelor's or a master's degree. So yeah, you just have to be very careful. Just just because you have a degree in something doesn't necessarily mean you're the expert. I know in my own life there's been many times where where someone will ask me something like, hey, what do you know about this? And a lot of times if I know a little bit or, you know, I studied it a long time ago, but now I'm no longer in that that field or it's not something I do every day, I'll say, oh, I know enough to be dangerous. Other people I've seen quotes saying, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. So the Dunning-Kruger effect, when you first learn about something, and I wish I could show the graph because the graph shows it very nicely, but when you first learn about something your confidence of your knowledge in that subject just skyrockets. On the graph, it just goes straight up. Like your confidence in the knowledge that you know everything. And this is very interesting because when Dunning and Kruger did their studies, the results supported that incompetent individuals will dramatically overestimate their ability and performance relative to objective criteria. They'll be less able to recognize competence when they see it. And part of the reason is you have to have a minimum level of knowledge in a subject to know that you're deficient in it. So many times these people don't even realize what they're failing at. In addition, they didn't even follow up studies of this to where, you know, they did a test and they, they asked the, these participants like, okay, how well did you do on the test? And they're like, oh man, I did really good. Like, I, I know I did it when they didn't. And they, they didn't realize how poorly they actually did on the test and that they didn't fully understand the concepts. So after that, they did those follow-ups where they, they did a little bit of training in the area. So now these people are seeing like, oh, all the pitfalls and traps, like, oh, I didn't realize that. And then they they did the test again. And then they asked them a second time, like, okay, how'd you think you do this time? And their their reported outcomes and what they thought they did or how well they thought they did were actually very much more aligned at this time because they had gained the basic knowledge and the minimum amount of knowledge to actually realize the deficits that they have in their own thinking. So the Dunning-Kruger graph, if you've ever seen this, it basically starts out like you get a question and your knowledge of it is minimal, like to none, like you don't know anything about this subject. And so then you do a little bit of research and all of a sudden your confidence just goes through the roof. You're like, oh yeah, this is easy stuff. I know this. Then as you learn a little bit more, you're like, oh, well actually, There's more to this than I thought. And then as you dive even further, you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm never going to understand this. Uh, It gets even worse. Like this is really complicated. I've seen so many different examples of this, like people looking at starting a new company or going into a new field like, oh yeah, you know, being a a beautician or a makeup artist. Oh yeah, that's easy. Or a therapist or a dietitian. Yeah, any of it. Like, oh, this is easy. I can do this. And then you start getting into it. Like, no, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And then finally, you get to this what we call uh, in the five emotional cycles of change, which I'm going to talk about later, probably in a different episode. 
is uh, you get to this valley of despair to where you learn enough about to know that there is a lot more and a lot more time, a lot more effort and studying that you're going to do or maybe practice that you're going to have to do to actually become competent in this area. And you get to that value of despair. And this is where most people actually quit. They're like, you know what? It's not worth it. It's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. It's taken so much time. They might feel like I'm not actually cut out for this and I'm not doing well at this because they realize the concepts and the way to translate that or make a business out of it or be a service provider is way harder than they ever estimated. And so then they think it's a flaw within themselves or I'm not cut out for this when really it's like, that's how life is. There's a lot of these fields and subjects. It takes years to master anything. That's why we say it usually takes at least 10 years to become an actual expert in an area. And a lot of people, for some reason, assume that they can be in it for like in the first year and should be an expert already, should have mastered it already. In another sense, I see a lot of technicians, people who are like really technical, they're working for this company and they're like, my boss, he doesn't really understand what I do. They're not making the most use of this. My manager doesn't really know what to do. And that thought always comes up like, you know what? I could do this better than they can. And I've I've seen it over and over again where people are like, okay, I'm just going to quit, start my own business, and I'll do this. And as they do that, they realize they they may be very good with the technical side, but the business side is a completely different ballgame. And after they they start this process, they realize, wow, there's there's a lot more. There's marketing, there's finances, I got to hire people, I got to fire people. Yeah, like their boss was having a lot of different hats (laughs) that they didn't estimate. Yeah. So it's definitely something you got to be aware of. I'm not saying, you know, don't stop chasing your dreams if that is your dream, but but just because you learn a little bit and you're thinking about it, like the, the Dunning-Kruger effect it really fools a lot of people. But once you get to that valley of despair, if you get through it, then you get to the point to where you start to be like, okay, well, this is all making sense. I got a flow down. I have a rhythm. You know, we have this routine. And then you finally get to the point where the graph is slowly starting to curve back up. And it's basically like, yes, this is complicated, but I can do it. Yeah, it's like, it feels like, okay, things are starting to turn around. It's starting to make sense now. Yeah. And so we see very successful people and they're, they're at the very end of this whole cycle. A lot of times we don't see all the time and work and effort they put in before where they went through this same thing. You know, a very uh, interesting one I see is, is Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay, top of the field. He he's on so many different cooking TV shows. A million restaurants that he owns. <laughs> yeah, he owns a bunch of different restaurants. But what you don't see and what you hardly ever hear about is the time he spent like around the world, work under different chefs, just like just in the background. Like he wasn't the face of the company. He started out like we all did as a student, learning and training under different people in chef school and much more than chef school. He actually was working crazy hours at different high-end restaurants and slowly worked his way up until finally he had kind of worked through all this process. And now he is an expert in uh, multiple different cuisines. Many of us look at him and we're like, wow, like that's awesome. He has a great life, but you didn't see the massive hours he was putting in when he first started out where he almost burnt out and almost quit. Are you looking to elevate your client experience to the next level? 
Whether you're in the wellness, photography, or mental health worlds, imagine the impact of offering your client a truly unique and memorable gift that supports them on a personal level. Introducing the Custom Affirmation Card Decks by Soleya. Our custom affirmation decks are designed to empower and inspire your clients, leaving a lasting impression that strengthens your professional relationship. So picture this, your own branded affirmation cards beautifully crafted with imagery that reflects your brand's essence. These card decks serve as more than just a gift. They become a daily reminder of your commitment to your client's well-being and success. Whether you're a life coach, yoga instructor, therapist, or photographer, your custom card deck supports your client's personal growth, even when they're not in a session with you. So why settle for generic gifts like candles or pens when you can create something truly transformational and beautiful? With Soleil's custom affirmation cards, you can tailor every aspect to align with your brand identity and the values that you stand for. And this process is easy for you. We do all the heavy lifting from design to ordering. Simply choose your affirmations, select the imagery, and add your logo and branding elements. We'll take care of the rest, delivering a high-quality, personalized product. Join the ranks of leading wellness, photography, and mental health professionals who are elevating their client experience with custom affirmation card decks from Soleya. Visit our website today at soleya.co slash custom to learn more and start creating your own unforgettable client gifts. That's solea.co slash custom. And I'll spell it out for you. S-O-U-L-E-A dot C-O forward slash C-U-S-T-O-M. Together, let's inspire positivity and empower transformation one affirmation at a time. I'm sure he's in the valley of despair a lot of times, too, because it's stressful to do all that. People think that because everyone just shares the highlights and the success and all the great stuff that you don't see, you know, the business partner betrayals or like the hard employees that you have to deal with or lawsuits or whatever craziness, you know, that can go into just going after these things and how a lot of hard things can really happen on that journey, which would make a lot of people want to quit. Yeah, another interesting thing that came out, this is a little bit more recent, studies of the Dunning-Kruger effect were actually completed in North America. But after that, there were actually studies of the Japanese people, which actually showed that there may be some cultural forces in place that actually determine our thinking and our process of this. So what they found is that the Japanese people tended to see underachievement or failure as an opportunity to improve their abilities at a given task, thereby increasing their value to the social group. So they underestimated their abilities, meaning they were actually better than what they were. Whereas here in North America, a lot of times we overestimated our abilities. We thought we were better than what we actually were at the beginning. And this is this is kind of interesting because the Japanese, the culture is about providing for the social group, not failing, but excelling and being good in the field. So when they were asked to rate how well they did on certain tests, they were like, well, I didn't do that well. There's always room for improvement, da, da, da. It's very interesting to see this contrast because they were similar tests. If there were no other factors influencing our mindset, they should have answered similarly to we do in North America, but they did not. 
So it's just a very interesting concept that if you're not aware of, you definitely want to keep an open mind to because when you first learn about something and you're not an expert, a lot of times you, at least in North America, we greatly overestimate our ability and our knowledge, our competency, because we just don't even know enough to realize how bad we are at something or how complex these different things can get, whatever it can be. For me, it was like do-it-yourself projects, repair projects, automobiles. Even painting a house. Oh my gosh, this this happened to us recently. Like we were fixing up a house, trying to sell it, and I got to the point to where, oh well, you can't put latex paint on top of oil-based paint, and I didn't know what type of paint we had in the house, and all of a sudden, like the the paint starts peeling, and I'm like, what is going on? And I thought, oh, this is gonna be a very simple. I'm just gonna go paint the house myself, and I realized. After all these things started going wrong, I'm like, oh God, like there is a lot more involved in this. And so I, I hired a painter and he walked in and like in 30 seconds, he's like, oh, here's your problem. You're using the wrong type of paint. This is blah, blah, blah type of paint. You're using this. They don't mix together. You have to actually, you know, sand this down, prime it, get a proper base. Then you can do this type of paint. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't know any of this. And even with him talking, like he's, he's like, oh yeah, this is basic common sense knowledge for him because he works in this field and I was still trying I probably even said that wrong just now latex on oil oil on latex I I don't know <laughs> yeah that was definitely a shock for me because I can totally see how in our culture we think you know we grow up thinking that we can pursue anything and of course we're told it's hard but I think we don't realize the length of time it takes to master a subject I think people really think oh yeah sure whatever it'll be hard, but I should be able to have the success and the mastery and position myself as an expert Like as soon as they decide like that's what they want to do. And you're in for a rude awakening, right? It's definitely a lesson I had to learn of being patient and being okay with, you know what? I'm going to pick a subject and I'm going to give it the time that it takes and I'm going to be okay with that. And I know that it's going to take a long time and a lot of work and a lot of effort to ever feel like I can truly call myself an expert in that subject. Because definitely, I think growing up for me, it was like I wanted to be an author when I was in high school. And then I realized, wow, this is really hard. I wanted to be a pilot. I've tried so many different things. And nutrition was the area that I landed on. And I was like, you know what? However long it takes, that's okay. And then even finding my niche with eating disorders and disordered eating, I realized like I'm pretty new in this and this is going to take a lot of time to be as great as a nutrition counselor as the coworkers that I have who have been in it for longer years than I have. And that's okay. That makes sense. But I think for a lot of people, they might get frustrated or think they're not cut out for it because they expect to be at that level as they see other people and they think I'm supposed to be at that level. I should be as good at this. This should come easier to me. It's just not the case. Because these can overlap a little bit. I definitely want to talk about imposter syndrome and how that is a little bit different from the Dunning-Kruger effect. The Dunning-Kruger effect is more about confidence levels when you barely know anything about a subject and then it dips down and then it slowly comes back up. Actually, you actually learn more and more and learn the complexities and nuances of a subject. Would you mind going into imposter syndrome, highlighting the details that make that a little bit different? When I think about it now, I think maybe a lot of people go into an area because they do have that little bit of confidence and they think that they're good at it. Like, 
for me, starting off, maybe I was passionate about writing. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to write a book. And then you realize, wow, there's a lot of grammatical rules. There's a lot of ways to construct a story. You don't just write whatever is in your brain and put it on the page. Like For it to be a really good book or a bestseller, there are some rules. We can always break the rules, but there are certain ways to structure a story and to present characters that people enjoy that makes it more appealing for the reader that they will want to stay engaged with that story and that it makes sense. We could do things in our own way and it could really lose the plot and not make sense. So there's certain ways to do things in any area, even in creative industries. There's certain rules to kind of follow to storytell even. So I think people will start off confident because they think, okay, cool. I like this, which I enjoy this. So that must mean that I'm probably good at this. Let me start this off. And then as they're working in it and they're realizing there's way more to it than they ever expected, then that's where things get hard. And that's where they can start to question themselves. And imposter syndrome, one of the main things with imposter syndrome is thinking like, okay, I need to continue to get a lot of degrees, get credentials, learn because I don't know anything. So I feel like the main thing with imposter syndrome when we look at the Dunning-Kruger effect is when you're in that valley of despair, maybe for a lot of people, they might quit or they might think I'm not cut out for this or whatever. I think for the people with imposter syndrome, maybe the main difference is that if they're in it long enough and they do start slowly climbing out of that valley of despair and they start getting more recognized and getting back to that, okay, I I know that this takes more training than I expected. This takes more skills. And so they start working on those skills. The slight difference is that if you have imposter syndrome, you never get to that place like with the Dunning-Kruger effect of like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to feel confident again. The pendulum swinging back up. Before I felt confident, then I felt not confident and in the valley of despair. But slowly over time, as I'm gaining more experience, I'm feeling more confident again. Sometimes people with imposter syndrome never reach that point of feeling confident again. They're just going through the motions. They're learning, learning, learning. They're gaining the experience, the expertise. But that feeling of confidence never really comes back for them. They're still questioning themselves. Yeah, I think that's the big difference, though, is that at some point in time, no matter where you're at and what you're studying, you're going to have that valley where you're like, I don't know this. And medicine happens pretty much your whole life because there's always areas where you're like, I don't know this. And like the studies haven't been finished. I'm not sure. And then we can keep learning, keep studying, keep researching. But eventually we should hopefully gather enough confidence, you know, knowledge, skill that we no longer feel like an imposter. We feel like we're actually helping, even though we know we could probably do more and learn more. At least we're not feeling like, oh, my God, I'm screwing everything up. Yeah, we're no longer a novice. And so once you get to that point to where, okay, now you actually are an expert, but you still struggle with the mentality of that. Well, am I really? Yes, at first, 
We all are. Yeah, we all are stuck at the beginning, right? Yeah, at first we all have to learn and and claim you're an expert because you watch one documentary on Netflix. No, absolutely not. But if you have the time, the experience, the knowledge, and you still are struggling that, then I think that's more of the imposter syndrome. So there is a difference. One thing I do want to kind of focus on is that depending on what your goals are, it's okay to suck at something for a while. Like if your goal is to be a writer, there are other people who are out there who are great at editing. Like you don't have to be the best editor and have the best grammar and everything to be a writer. I actually read a story one time about a famous writer who in high school, he was told, oh, your grammar's terrible. Your syntax is terrible. You'll never be a writer. And his high school guidance counselor told him, like, you need to find a different field. And years later, he was like, oh, I realized there are people paid to correct my grammar. And like, there are editors out there who are really good. And he ended up publishing, you know, so many different books, became famous, had best-selling books. I don't, unfortunately, I don't remember the name of the artist who, or the, the writer who did this. But that whole concept, like, if this is something you want to do, then go ahead and push through it. Now, there's another story I read actually this last week about this CEO who he was trying to set up a, a printer network at his house. This particular CEO, he made enough of a salary to where he basically got paid like $1,000 an hour and he spent 14 hours his whole weekend basically trying to set up this printer system. 14 hours times 1000 that'd be $14,000 of his normal salary that he basically spent So anyway, he spent all this time trying to do it and he ended up at the end of everything paying like a high school teenager $100 to come set it up and he had it set up in 30 minutes. So if his goal was to set up printer networks for the rest of his life and that's want to be his uh, his career, then awesome. Yeah, learn it. Like learn the insides and outs, struggle through that, find someone who knows what they're doing. But this wasn't the case for him. Like he just want a network set up at his home, which if you've never done that before, it can sometimes be very frustrating. Instead of him spending all this hours and becoming the expert in it, it's just better to hire or find someone who who does enjoy that and have them do it. Yes, definitely. You can always hire for the areas that are not your strengths. And if you're passionate about something that you do want to become an expert in and you feel like it's not a strength right now, then you can work on that. You can build that skill up and just remember that it takes time to become an expert in it. Everyone starts somewhere. Maybe some people are a little bit more naturally gifted at it than you, but even though for those people, it's still they don't have all the knowledge either. And they still need to put in the time that it takes to actually become an expert or a household name or whatever. And so just remember that going back with the example of writers, there's plenty of people who put out one, two, three, five books before they got a bestseller. It doesn't, it didn't deter them. They did it because they loved it. And eventually, as they improved, they were recognized and they did hit the bestseller list. Yeah. There's so many more examples I can think of right now. Michael Jordan, who was kicked off his high school basketball team and become arguably one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Tom Brady, six round draft pick in the NFL. No one thought he was going to be anything. 
And now he has like more Super Bowl wins than pretty much anyone else. And some of like the biggest authors of all time, like J.K. Rowling, she was rejected, I think, like 13 or 30 or whatever times as well. And so many authors were rejected initially. They just had to keep going until they were able to do it. So, guys, I just wanted to go over this concept with you today because I recently kind of dove into it. The Dunning-Kruger effect, where your confidence soars right when you first learn something, and then you start realizing, wow, this is a lot harder than I actually thought. There's a lot more layers to this. If this is something you want to do, you're going to have to go through that valley. Like, if you stop in the middle of that valley, you're going to keep doing that for the next thing. Like, there will always be that valley, no matter what you go into. There has to be a time where you learn, you improve, you practice, and then finally you can come out to the other side as competent and perhaps an expert in the field better than others, but even if not better, at least competency where you can actually enjoy what you like now. So just be careful of that. Don't fall into the trap of like, oh, this is hard. I don't know if this is cut out for me. If you want to do it and you enjoy doing it, just do it. Keep doing it. And there's some people even who maybe they have been working on a hobby or a skill since they were kids and they actually have put in all that time and they are really good and they're not getting recognized. And maybe it's because it's the marketing piece or whatever. And maybe it's that they need to add more skills, different skills, or they need to hire people or hire a team. And maybe they're frustrated. They're not getting recognized. Same thing. Like there's going to be those valleys of despair of trying to get your work out there or reach new levels. And that's okay. So that's why... You know, we're the high vibe mindset where we really wanted to talk about the mindset that we all go through. This Dunning-Kruger effect is basically pointing out the psychology and the mindset that (laughs) most humans are going through and what happens when we're trying to set out and we're trying to reach certain goals and we're going to go through that journey of like feeling overly confident, overestimating what we can do and then feeling like, oh my gosh, this sucks, nothing's working. We're in that valley of despair. But the big thing to point out is that the difference between being able to hit that goal and not hitting that goal is so many people quit when they're at that valley of despair. And if it's something that's really on your heart, allow it to take time. Don't feel pressure like it has to happen today. That's not realistic. That's the big thing to point out is it's not realistic for anyone. It takes time. It's really just a matter of time. So work through the valley of despair. Keep your mindset strong. Listen to our other podcast episodes. Listen to other podcasts. Get some books. Really work on your mindset to work through that and remember Remember that it's a matter of time. The more that you can work through it and continue to increase your skills, increase your competency, get around the right people, get the right help, then eventually you'll be able to hit that goal. Maybe it'll happen in a few years, maybe a few decades, Like, but why not work on it? The worst thing is getting to the end of your life and regretting that you didn't do it. The time's going to go by anyways. So guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you leave us a review. If there's anything you want to hear, like you can always reach out to us uh, either in the review or through our email address, highvibemindset at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. If you loved this episode, subscribe and stay notified for new episodes every Tuesday. Leave us a review with what you liked or what you want more of. And don't forget, stay high vibe. Remember to stay high five. It says that at the end already. I'm going to say it again. <laughs>
Do you know these three things are sabotaging your ability to live your high vibe life? First is living in disconnection, which basically means walking around with no awareness of your body, emotions, or values. And second is letting negative self-talk run the show in your brain. That's just going to make you doubt your potential and stop you from going after your dreams. Finally, it's not having any supportive coping practices or self-care that doesn't take hours or cost tons of money. Because when you're living in chronic stress at home or work, the last thing that feels accessible is a spa day or a meditation retreat. We have personally struggled with all of these things, and that's why we created the body deck. This affirmation card deck has 77 intentionally designed beautiful cards to help you address all three of these high vibe killers in just a couple minutes a day. These affirmations will help you tune into your body and your inner world, practice positive self-talk, and best of all, it's super portable and affordable. For only $33, benefit from the transformative practice of affirmations anywhere you go. So if you're ready to stop the self-sabotage and start being the highest version of yourself, you'll definitely want to get your hands on the Body Deck Affirmation Cards. Head over to solea.co. That's S-O-U-L-E-A dot C-O to get the Body Deck Affirmation Cards today. You can also find the link in the show notes. <laughs> 